Welcome to Watch This Space, the podcast about future of work. Every month, we bring you insider perspectives on how digital transformation, emerging tech, and generational change are shaping the future of work. We are two analog guys finding this groove for all of this in today's digital world. I'm John Arnold, and these trends are my focus as an independent technology analyst in my company, J. Arnold and Associates. And I'm Chris Fine. I'm an independent consultant and strategist specializing in workplace technology, IoT, and security. My company is Integrative Technologies. Hi, everybody. Hi, John. Welcome to another month of Watch This Space. Hope all's doing well. What's new? Yeah, good to be uh, back on the uh, airwaves. That's what we used to say in Radio Land. I know it's not really air anymore, but uh, summer has... Uh, come and gone, so to speak. Um, it'll stay warm for a little while yet. But to me, summer's over because my uh, beloved Boston Red Sox are not, I don't think, going to make the playoffs in any way, shape, or form. So I don't know, baseball right? is kind of over for me. And uh, I can say with a smile, if you're a Yankees fan, it's been over for a while, but that's another story for later as a hey, baseball hey. guy. <laughs> as a baseball guy. But we're on to other things in the world of tech and future of work and all that cool stuff. So, yeah, Chris, um, following on last month uh, where we talked about, uh, oh, geez, well, 5G and stuff that's happening in the other side of the world. We're a little more grounded, I think, this month for uh, coming out of summer and going into into the fall. So I know you've been away a little bit uh, work wise and same for me. But things are going to pick up quite a bit um, come September and certainly getting into fall uh, season for conferences. October and November is kind of the busy time for me with that. So uh, I'm trying to get as much work done as I can now before the road uh, takes over. Makes a lot of sense. My schedule is going to pick up uh, toward the latter part of September. I'm going to go to a couple of commercial real estate and work tech related get-togethers, possibly a security-related get-together. So that is going to be interesting. Um, and then it's just more more business travel, I think, going into the fall. It's really back to sort of the, the pace it used to be, right, a bit pre-pandemic. So that's what, that's what the fall looks like. And it's very busy for you too, right? Yeah. And of course, we got to hope there's not another COVID wave coming. We're getting some signs of that. And uh I know there's a new uh, booster coming out that I have to look into getting, I suppose. But, uh, you know, I've certainly been traveling worry-free for a while. And, you know, it's people quickly leave their masks at home. <laughs> you don't see too much of that anymore. But I do wear I do wear a mask on a flight generally. But, uh, yeah, I just really keep fingers crossed that it will still be safe to uh, to travel. Yeah, because we got a lot, a lot of miles coming up ahead, both of us. I know that. Yeah, I, I see that there are a fair number of people, like when I'm flying, that they just seem to be veteran flyers and frequent business travelers, and they actually do wear the mask uh, most of the time, uh, which probably makes sense for as a precaution if your schedule, if you can tolerate it, and if your schedule is going to be super busy, and you, you have to postpone everything if you get infected, you know? Yeah, well, you know, that raises something that's going to take us into our uh, our topic in a, in a minute or two, Chris. Um, the travel that I did do over the summer, uh, first off, I think we'd all agree it's a lot more expensive now. It's almost double what I was spending last year on flights. 
So the costs have really gone up and the airlines just continue to try to nickel and dime every little extra. There's a cost, you know, the, the wider seat, the more leg room, the baggage and, you know, you name it. And now it's just like, it doesn't take much. And what I find really interesting, Chris, is we had to do a little bit of comparison shopping on flights in terms of whether we we're going to uh, take a check bag or not. And I could not find consistent, clear information across the various sites for the different carriers. And I know they do this on purpose. They make it really hard to get apples to apples. And you go into making your bookings with more uncertainty than you used to in terms of what you're getting. And, uh, you know, it's it, they, they don't want you, I guess, to comparison shop too much and make it too easy for you to, you know, choose just on price alone. So I just find it's another way that they're making it harder for you to make decisions that should be pretty easy to make, right? Yeah, I, you know, I can't. It's an interesting topic, right? Because the airlines have their own somewhat unique. Well, that's not that's not right. She can't be somewhat unique. So let's just say yeah. unique uh, approach to things in the sense that it's so much about just squeezing more out of you at every level. And it's the entire aviation related business. Like um, airports are becoming more and more like malls. And they, this is this is very deliberate and it has good aspects to it because the airports are probably, I mean, and certainly in case of New York airports, getting far more pleasant because of all the stores and restaurants and everything else that you have there. But, and in a sense, it's a perfect retail environment because they force you to show up so early that you're kind of trapped for an hour or two. What are you going to do? Um, yep. And then when you get on the plane, there's such a lack of any kind of service that you're sort of stuck, right? So in terms of whatever the metric is, you know, revenue per passenger that enters the terminal, you, you know, you're, you're a business, you're forcing it up, but it's not always good for the traveler. And I also think that the airlines are so full now, the planes are so full. Uh, it's been so precisely calculated in terms of yield and everything else that they don't really have to do anything, you know? Um <laughs> <laughs> this could become the airline, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, complaint forum here. No, for topic no, no. Today, but you know yeah, what? It's, when... I, they get me there. For the most part, what has improved is they do get, for the most part, at least in my limited experience, because I don't have to do this every week. They kind of get me to point A from point A to point B. It's just what's involved in the in the in the getting there. Yeah, um, we're the ones getting up at three in the morning, right? We're the ones taking the costly cab rides to get up from the airport to wherever we have to go. You know, as you say, they get us from point A to point B pretty, pretty efficiently. And I'll, I'll say that, like, when was the last time you sat on a flight that had empty seats? Like you say, they fill them very efficiently now. So they're maximizing their, uh, you know, revenue opportunity, I guess. But uh, does anyone come off a plane saying that was a great experience? It doesn't happen very often. But that well, takes us to our topic. Today, yeah, we it? don't want to get political and talk about uh, things like inequality, right? Because if you pony up enough, the experience is really different, right? Uh, oh, yeah. Well, so there is that, I, right? I always, it's always a Seinfeld reference, right? There was that episode when he's Jerry's in first class, right? And Elaine is back in coach and, right? He's looking yeah. back at her just before he closes the, the curtain. If only you'd worked a little harder. 
<laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's laughable, but not laughable. But, you know, the industry is the way it is because there's that demand, right? And very yeah. little oversight. Yeah. Okay. It's funny because it's true, as they say on The Simpsons. Yep. Okay. So let's kick off where we're going, Chris. We're going to talk about, well, this, what we considered was to kind of ask the question about the evolution of customer service. You know, I kind of brought this topic up because I know you're involved with many technologies that are aimed at improving customer service. And my question was, is that really the goal of many businesses? Is is it really the goal to, is, is the goal to dispatch a greater number of customers? Is the goal to only keep who you want to keep? Or is the goal to actually connect with customers? And I'm wondering, you know, in your travels, what and and your your contacts and you know, what does the industry think about this, the technology aspect of it? You know what I'm getting at? Well, yeah, right. And, and it's so it's easy for us to filter everything through the lens of technology, right? That we think uh, it's the solution to all of our problems. And you can take a very technology based approach and say, yeah, as you say, well, if we use all of these great tools you know, customer service will be better. And that's can be true. But, you know, if you've got live agents talking to live customers, uh, there's obviously a lot more than just the technology involved. So we're not quite at the point where every interaction is totally automated, that my bot wearing my customer hat will talk to your customer agent bot, and there'll be no human interaction. That's a little different. We're not, we're not there yet. But if you listen to the vendors, Chris, of course, as in every vertical market with technology, they will and do offer wonderful technologies that do a lot of really great things built around that idea of, you know, if you want to be customer first, customer centric, if you want to create that great customer experience that keeps them loyal and buying from you and all that stuff. Yes, we have the technologies, right? It's like Arby's. We have the meats. And it's all there and it can do the job, but you know, people are in the equation too. And that's the big variable here. And not just the interactions of customers to agents, but also, you know, the 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 the, the mentality and the priorities of the company itself, the culture, the management, you know, what's most important to them really. And is it expediency and efficiency, or is it truly creating great customer experiences and building your brand. And we know there's, there's both types out there, right? They really, they really are. It's not just one thing, but it's easy to focus on the bad stuff, right? Yeah, I, I agree, John. I, but I think I almost see a greater kind of um, fork in the road where there are two, two different sides, depending on who you're dealing with, whom you're dealing with. So there are some custom, some companies they're, I, I don't want to say they're luxury brands, but like a company like Apple, where you're, they have a, a huge amount of customer loyalty. And uh, part of that is just the products that they supply. But I, I think also it's about their, their retail connection with the customer and the level of service that you do get. I, I mean, they're very busy, but I guess my experience with them over a period of a long time is that if and when you get contact with a person, if you need it, the service is pretty good. And it always seems like they 
do care about a good relationship with the customer over a long period of time. So I do think there are companies like that. American Express was like that for a long time. I don't know if it is as much anymore, but, you know, and probably within the bounds of their mass market mentality, you know, there is some argument that Amazon with its returns policies and all of this is relatively friendly that way. But um, what I find is that there's another group in industries like healthcare, for example, where they don't seem to want you to have any interaction with them. Um, in fact, the IVR, you know, the IVR meaning the, you know, press one for this, press one for that, two for that systems, for example, are just hostile in terms of getting you to a person. Uh, utilities are like that very often. Essentially, any uh, the government, right? Anybody who doesn't really have, I guess, any incentives to have that relationship with you is actively discouraging that relationship banks, for example. So it, it's almost as though all this technology sometimes is applied to, uh, it's not just that it isn't implemented well, like we used to think, but it's almost applied to d- d- distancing the customer as much as possible. Do you think that makes any sense? I, I don't know what to say. It's like, yeah, <laughs> we all have lived these examples, right? Uh, I'm glad you mentioned utilities, Chris, because that reminded me that, yes, last month, I I had one trip and it was to uh, South Carolina where I was invited to speak to uh, a group of co-ops, cooperative utilities that serve kind of the the smaller, you know, parts. This is for North Carolina. Uh, You know, there are more rural areas that the big utility Duke doesn't serve. And so there are dozens of these, these utilities that are in the power business and, um, one of the challenges they have is, yeah, when you talk about customer service, you know, I think it's a fair s- statement to make that most of us, we don't really understand our utility bill. Like, you know, and when we get it, I mean, do we really read it? Do we have a fine tooth comb going or, over every little thing? And so it's one of those, it's a really interesting kind of industry energy is that they're incented to have you consume less of their product, not more of it. Because, you know, energy conservation is a, is a, is a thing. We don't want to be wasting or using more carbon energy than we need to. So it's a really diff, unique dynamic in the marketplace of a business that has to kind of stay solvent, but at the same time, not encourage more consumption of what they sell. They have to just do it in different ways. Anyways, their ideas about customer service, again, being utility, you know, they don't really have to provide a high level of experience and all that stuff but in a way they do because the marketplace has opened up with renewables and so there are alternatives and customers do have choice and they do have a say in the mix of energy that they want to consume and anyways so they're they're kind of going through maybe kicking and screaming a bit but pulled into that more consumer focused age where they have to be more sensitive and interested in what customers want and what their issues are and uh, it's it's really interesting because, you know, mobile tools come into it a lot. And and uh, just, you know, as I say, because you have choice now, it's different. And so, yeah, these industries haven't had a culture of, you know, being CX, customer experience focused. But they kind of have to now because you don't want to alienate customers and lose them. But as you say, Chris, there's more practice going now of these businesses that have certain customers in their you know, mix that they don't value very much. And as you say, you make it almost impossible to deal with 
and they'd rather you go away. I never thought we'd say that, but you know, there is seems to be an element of that. You're right. So without, without being political, they're kind of weaponizing customer service in a way to make it so bad that you don't, you know, now you're getting the message. We don't want you. It's almost like customer triage sometimes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, it's erecting a barrier. You know, it's something that's kind of a mystery to me because sometimes you get through these various barriers and you actually get to talk to a person and sometimes they're very helpful. But it just seems as though, and again, this is a technology question, it almost seems like in many cases, systems that are designed to increase customer interaction, increase quality of interaction, turn out to be barriers, right? Or um, uh, hurdles to overcome to try to get to just a very simple thing that you might actually need or to, and, you know, in the long term, does that turn people away or does that just make them more determined or is it both? I, I don't know. But um, since the decline of somebody actually picking up the phone uh, in so many industries, I, I do think that there is that certain element of it, of the technology actually being a barrier to customers. And I guess, there are just a lot of industries where maybe that doesn't affect them negatively, I guess, right? The yeah. airlines, you know, it's still full. People are still paying what they pay. You know, in the case of utilities, uh, I, I, I would kind of say that, uh, for example, energy alternatives have been on the market for years. Uh, most utilities operate in competitive energy markets, for example. And yet the the attrition is actually very low. Right, the, the 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 alternative providers don't really pick up a lot of customers in many places, yeah. and yet they're supposed to be more friendly or whatever. So I don't know. Does it matter? And if yeah. if, if this is true, then where's the future of customer interaction technology going? Is it as it gets smarter? Is it really to service the customers better, or is it to to um, uh, triage them and service a few really well? And with spending minimally on the majority. Yeah. And to optimize the mix of customers you really want. You know, again, utility industry, just a, another good example of this, Chris, is um, how and this is, this is, there's not just one example of this, but a lot of the bigger utilities are public. So they have shareholder expectations to meet. And they're trying to the optics of doing the right thing, embracing renewables, you know, be, and all these emission reduction requirements they have to meet and trying to go green and have sustainable energy, all the things that we as consumers and as businesses who consume power, we want because we want it. Our customers want it. They only want to do business with environmentally responsible. All that kind of stuff is there. But at the same time, they've made all these commitments to renewable energy and they're finding that the business end of it the model is just not viable it's just so costly and so some of these larger public utilities are being pressured by their boards to divest of their their investments in renewable spin them off into another business because it's killing our bottom line it's not making us efficient as a company financially so they have this pressure to do that and say, well, folks, if you really want renewables, you're going to have to buy it from our spin-out company and they're going to charge you, you know, it's going to be 5x what you're paying now. If you really want it, you can get it. But you know what? It doesn't fit our business model 
So, you, you know, all these competitive interests and conflicting priorities to look like you're doing the right thing and trying to do the right thing. But the reality, if you've got to run a business and be accountable to shareholders, it's an impossible balance to strike unless it's regulated, right? I think that's true. You know, I guess if I don't pretend to be an, eco an economist at all, so I'll disclaim that right from the beginning. But there is a concept in economics called incentives. And it strikes me, you know, incentives is like, why, what is incentivizing me to do something or do something else? And typically in a successful situation, incentives are aligned, right? So different parties, the customer, the company, what the all the ecosystem is aligned. And it seems to me that, you know, and this goes, this almost even goes back to our ongoing discussion about the future of work and how do people work and where do they work? It seems to me that the incentives underneath all of this are really undergoing a shift and um, they're not all, they're not all aligned and things are changing as to why each party does something. And that's causing a lot of the friction in the relationship with customers, for example, relationship with workers. And, and I, I'm wondering how it's going to go, but, I, but I don't know how you think about it, but I sort of see a realignment of incentives in the whole market. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see where it goes. Well, you know, this is going to come back to what's the technology piece in this and what are the vendors doing it? You know, the technology here cuts both ways. And what I mean by that is in the customer service world, you know, the, the, the days of IVR, which are still very much with us, you know, you could argue it's, it was the best available technology of the time. So it, you can only expect so much from it. But now with today's new technologies, the ability to provide that automated form of service is, you know, miles ahead of what it used to be. So the potential is there to have these great automated experiences. And a lot of the vendors provide that. And a lot of companies are benefiting from that. You know, you don't have to hire as many agents now because the bots can handle a lot of stuff this way. And then today's digital customers, as you say, Chris, don't want to talk to people anyway. So they're happy to do automated service. Okay, if you can deliver it, that's a really good use of the technology. Great. The flip side, though, is that these tools driven by cloud and driven by AI are now able to pick up so much data and integrate so much information from every silo across your organization that, you know, when an agent talks to a customer, they know everything now about that customer. And we're in a world now, right, Chris, where decisions are increasingly being made from the top by data, right? That's what they are basing their decisions on. And that rich data that they're getting now is allowing them, I think, not so much maybe to cherry pick, but they can certainly identify the, you know, the profile of customers, that, as you say, that they really want. And maybe the ones that aren't quite up to that par or don't represent enough spending potential or, or ability to influence more buyers and new customer acquisition, they don't line up well enough. They're going to get second tier service at best. I mean, I could see that being a reality, whether they actually do it I don't know, but you get the feeling that that's what's happening, right? And so that data is being used. And to me, it's a lot like the way baseball is being run now. All the analytics they have, all the all the recruiting and scouting and buy, you know buying of new talent, stealing them away from other teams is being driven by the data 
that didn't even exist two or three years ago, but it's just so sophisticated now that that human element of, you know, is this guy a good hitter or not? Is he a good clutch player? No, if the metrics aren't there to support it, that player doesn't get looked at. And I think that to me is a good analogy for how customer services looks to be evolving for some kinds of companies that aren't truly like Apple that says at all costs, we value our customers. But that seems to be that maybe more of the minority. I don't know. Well, let's just say, you know, I think you just nailed it in terms of an explanation. I, I would just say that along with many, so one of the con, one of the things I think we talk about a lot, and this is probably a heading toward our conclusion here, but one of the things you and I talk about a lot is how much change there is and how much assumptions have to change in everything from technology to the world of work. And you always have to look at what the underlying assumptions are and are they still valid? So one of the assumptions that's been in business for a really, really long time with respect to running business is the importance of aiming for maximum customer service, right? That, you know, how many books has been written about that and, you know, for decades and decades. And it was accepted that in in most businesses, that that was just a must have. You didn't always achieve it, but that was always an aspirational goal to optimize your business. But maybe what you're saying with the advent of new analytical data and the changing environment, that for for some industries or businesses just is not true. And it's kind of, it may be not publicized, but maybe in fact, the incentives have changed. Just to, just to kind of provide a comparable metaphor, which is not precisely involved with customer service, but there uh, is a very good article in the New Yorker magazine this month about the the returns business, about you know how it works when items are returned, and you read that and it just basically flies in the face of anything you might historically have thought, which would have been that a business actually wants to get return, they want to try to minimize returns and they want to get them back so they can resell them, rebox them, whatever. And what this article says is no. That, that there's a whole industry around taking returns elsewhere, you know, selling them on the side as a discount or, you know, recycling them or whatever it may be. And the companies like Amazon, you know, major retailers have honed this to a science about what returns they actually care if they get or not, hmm. or if you even return it, because they'll just give you the money back because it costs less than returning it. So there's another assumption that you would have thought for a really long time that's no longer really true in the face of enormous amounts of data and maybe customer service is the same way. Yeah. Yeah. The, we talked offline earlier. Another example is this term debanked, which I just, uh, my oldest son was telling me about this the other day that it's getting to the point for some financial institutions that they've identified customers who just aren't profitable enough for them to be worth keeping as customers. And so they, unilaterally can close accounts. I mean, I find this hard to believe that they can just do that and just say, sorry, we, we can't uh, support your business anymore. You'll have to go elsewhere. Can you be that callous about it? I, I don't know. It just seems hard to believe in this day. But in this day and age, I guess almost anything goes. I imagine that's not that uncommon, right? I mean, a customer, a relationship does go both ways. I mean, in fairness to the businesses, if a customer is just singularly unprofitable. But, you know, that kind of thinking, look where that got to the insurance business and the mortgage business, right? 
the, the eventually um, either either the legal system or the government or both had to step back in to write some of that. And so it'll be interesting. It's just going to be interesting to see as these unaligned incentives keep going and it, where it really goes. Um, so that's kind of my my end of sentence here. But um, we certainly could talk more in the future about how technology is related to all of this. And for example, the evolution of customer service, which is an interesting topic, and it seems related to a lot of the stuff you do. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm with you on this incentive thing too, Chris, that the technologies are just allowing businesses to make these decisions faster and of less risk than before because it's kind of all in their favor. They have all the all the cards and maybe the incentives there have to come from, as you say, maybe, uh, you know, more visionary forms of government policy that's, you know, built more around protecting consumers who don't have data to fight back with. Um, but that's typical of technology, again, getting so far ahead of what the lawmakers really are able to handle the businesses know that it's going to take a while for for consumer protection i think to catch up with some of these practices i guess hopefully it's getting better but that is that as you say unaligned incentives for what's you know how to be a good corporate citizen versus how to be a a, a high performing profitable enterprise um those are not aligned right now i think and, and customer service is a real good focal point that the technology that we're using now is really i think exposing for better or worse. So for every great customer experience out there, and that's all we really want to see, it goes the other way too sometimes where they can take advantage of that to decide who they want and who they don't want. Not pretty. No, the justification for technology is always that it's a tool, that it enables so much because of, of its power as a tool. But, you know, a tool can come to own you too, right? If it's a powerful <laughs> enough one. Right, you start to see very a lot of things in the context of the tool. You spent a ton on the tool. It, you, you're very devoted to the tool. You take without question whatever data the tool is telling you. You know, it, it, eventually the tool gets control. You know, and so yeah. we'll have to see how that goes. Yeah, it's tr tricky stuff because I'm, you know, I'm not trying to disparage vendors at all, and I'm not trying to disparage companies at all, but. These tools, as you say, bring a lot of power that we didn't have before. And uh, yeah, I guess, you know, they, there's, it's got to be a little bit more, maybe more accountability to it if you really want to do it, the, do it right, whatever that means. But uh, that's our job here, right? Well, uh, we're going to try to interpret it anyway. Um, a light on it. I guess we're a little more philosophical than normal this month, a little bit less technical. But some of these issues actually do have implications, I think, in the world of tech. So we'll we'll just stay tuned, right? Keep on going. Watch this space. Exactly. Watch this space. That's the hint, folks, that we're on time. So with that, you'll give you a few things to think about to the next episode. But um, we want to thank you today for tuning in. And uh, as always, we want you to keep coming back. And we hope you're enjoying our podcasts as we explore the future of work here on Watch This Space. So you can access our episodes, if you don't know at this point, at www.watchthisspace.tech or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. And please, if you like what you're hearing, leave us a review, a rating, make comments, let us know what topics you'd love us to hear, to talk about, and we're all ears. So with that, I am J. 
John Arnold. And I'm Chris Fine. Thanks to all for listening again this month. And thanks to you, John. Always a pleasure to co-host with you. And we will see you next month for another episode of Watch This Space. All right. Thanks again, all.